Well, if you uh, were not awake, you are now awake. Um, <laughs> that video continues to uh, just be a fun one to come in after. There we go. All right, if you have a Bible, open with me to uh, Matthew chapter 16 as we continue this conversation called Disciple. As you're looking that up, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Steve, and I'm the lead pastor here at Discovery, and it's good to be with you in the gathering this morning. Uh, we think a lot about what we do on a Sunday morning, where we're going, and how that all fits in the calendar and the flow of things. Um, but every now and then, there's one, uh, maybe more than one, but there's always one week where it kind of it just feels a little bit weird how it all lines up. So we're in Matthew chapter 16 today, and we are going. This is going to be a heavier conversation. This is like, like the, the hard one in the midst of this four-part disciple combo. And of course, this is the one that the kids are in for, right? So we're going to be talking about death and contemplating our mortality with all of our kids in with us. So just parents, heads up about that. Uh, wanted to give you a little parental advisory here before, uh, before we get going. All right, uh, Matthew chapter 16. Again, we are uh, thinking about, talking about what it means to be followers of Jesus. And we are coming at this through the perspective, the lens of this guy named Peter. So as we read this together, I want you to be thinking about Peter's role in this story. We're going to begin in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. What about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whether you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Told you it's a fun one this morning. All right, let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, we ask now that you would uh, take all that we bring into this moment with us. As we begin spring break, uh, we're in the midst of a busy season, gearing up for Easter. All the different things that are going on, God, we, uh, we bring those to you now and ask that you would hold them for us. So that we can be fully present here, God, would you tune our ears to what it is that, that, that we need to hear this morning. And even if it is challenging, would you give us the courage to respond in whatever ways we need to respond. And everybody said, amen. All right, well, way back... 
in my mid-20s. It's ancient history now. I lived in Durango, Colorado for a couple of years. I was there to help uh, plant a church. Durango is in the southwest, and there's a river, and people are rafting during the summer. It's the mountain biking capital of the world. The joke in Durango, actually kind of similar to Davis, is that you know you're from Durango when your bike is worth more than your car. And so to be a good missionary, I was like, I got to have a thing, right? Everybody here has a thing. Like when people say, what do you do in Durango? They're not asking about your job. They're asking like, what is your, like, do you, do you raft? Do you boat? Do, do you mountain bike? Like what's your thing? So I needed a thing. So one day I'm standing in a, in a, I don't know, a restaurant or a coffee shop or something. And I see this flyer for a series of trail races. And I think, uh, I can run. And that does not require me to spend $5,000 on a piece of equipment. So sign me up for that. So trail running, that was going to be my thing. My first race, and I know some of you ran the, the lucky run here in, in Davis yesterday. So you're going to resonate with this story a little bit. Um, but my first race, I show up. I don't really know what I'm doing. I, I check in. I get that bib. I'm trying to figure out, like, how do you pin it? Like, how do I pin this without, like, poking myself and doing that whole thing? And then I notice that people are warming up. And so I'm like, oh, okay, this is what you do before a race. You warm up. So I start warming up, and I notice in my warm-up that there's this pack of teenagers that's, like, doing all this stuff together. And I'm paying attention to them, and I realize, like, oh, the Durango High cross-country team is running this race. Now, my goal heading into the race was to finish and to have fun. I was like, this is my first time ever doing this. If I can finish and have fun, we'll be good. But now I see this pack of teenagers and I think, I'm going to beat them. <laughs> right now I, have, now I have a goal. My competitive juices are starting to go a little bit. So the way that this course worked is you begin in this sort of flat meadow. I don't know if that picture is still up there. You can kind of see it maybe a little bit. But there's that ridge before you get to the snowy mountains. That's, we ran up into that and then back down into this meadow. So uh, we, we start the race, and you can see where everybody is. But then once you get into the trees, you kind of lose, you know, you lose track of people. So about a mile or two into the race, I've completely lost track of the cross-country team. And I'm like, whatever. I'm just going to have fun and try to finish this race. All right, so we go up into the woods. We come back down. We're out into the meadow. And once we get out, you can see again, you can see the finish line, and I can see who's ahead of me, and, and you can start to see who's behind you and all, all these sorts of things. And I notice there's a, there's a cross-country runner not too far ahead of me. She is finishing strong, and I'm like, I'm going to catch her. So I start kicking in, and I'm actually gaining some ground on her, and I notice that there's there's some people that are cheering her on. In fact, in particular, there's this one guy who's very passionately cheering for her. And as we get closer, I realize, like, well, that's her dad. All right, so her dad, you know, I don't remember what her name is, Lisa or whatever. He's like, cheer on, Lisa, come on, finish this race, finish this race. And he sees me coming, and he's looking at her, cheering her on, and he looks at me, and he, like, we like lock eyes. We have a moment. And he looks at me, and he looks back at her, and he goes, bury that guy. Which is exactly what she did in very spectacular fashion. Now, in many ways, this is my first race. This was a resounding success. I, I had fun. I finished. I ran a lot better than I thought I was going to run. But what was I thinking about? What was I thinking about? I was thinking about how I got destroyed at the finish line by a high school student, by a high school girl. 
More importantly, I was thinking about how I got humiliated by her dad as we finished that race. Now, this is a silly story as we get into a heavier topic. It's a silly story, but this is life, right? This is life. We have these moments, joys and sorrows, and it's all highs and these lows, these victories and these defeats, these joys and sorrows, and it's all muddled up together. It's all happening at the same time. Right? All these experiences that we call being human are muddled up together right next to each other. And the writers of Scripture, the brilliant writers of Scripture use this Use this reality of the muddledness of life to great effect in a technique called juxtaposition. This is our big fancy word of the day. All right? Juxtaposition, the act or instance of placing two or more things side by side, often to compare or contrast or create an interesting effect. It's a literary technique, but it's also how life works. Are you with me? Juxtaposition is this beautiful way to illustrate the messy muddle of our formation process. Again, all the highs and the lows, finishing a race and not quite getting the result that you wanted. Now, we're talking about discipleship, again, through the lens of this guy, Peter. Formation in the ways of Jesus. And this comes from the premise, the truth, that we are all being discipled or formed by something. Whether we are, are aware of it or not, whether we are being intentional about it or not, something is forming us, something is discipling us. And so to be a disciple of Jesus is to clearly declare, I will be formed by his way of life. And so Peter is a good gift to us in this conversation because his story, we, we have so many stories about Peter and they help kind of flesh out what, is this, what does this look like for us? What does it look like to be formed as a disciple of Jesus? Some amazing truths from Peter's life. And so <clears throat> this brings us now to, uh, to today's story, which is one of the great juxtapositions in all of Scripture. It begins with this really interesting conversation between Jesus and his disciples, right? Jesus is doing some market research you know, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And the disciples have all these different answers. John the Baptist, Jeremiah, prophet, Elijah. And, and then Jesus says, well, that's interesting, but he's more interested, I think, in this next question, which is, what about you? Right? Who do you say that I am? And who's the one who answers this question? Right? It's Peter. Peter answers. Remember last week, Peter had this moment. We were in Matthew chapter 14. Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water and then he becomes overwhelmed by the wind and the waves and he starts to drown and Jesus reaches down and saves him. And that whole experience was, was, was monumental for not just for Peter, definitely for Peter, but also for the rest of the disciples, right, who end up worshiping Jesus and, and walk away with a new conviction about who he is. You are the son of God, they all say. In the middle of that, though, Peter is in this great shift, we said, right? We named that he's moving from consumer to creator. This is one of the most important transformations that we make in our discipleship in the way of Jesus. From consumer to creator. 
Here we see, I think, the continuation of that, right? The next step of that. Jesus, asks this question, turns this really big question back on his disciples. And it's Peter who has the courage to answer, to confess, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And in response to this, Jesus, like, lavishes him with praise and affirmation, right? Like, Peter, you nailed it. You got it. You are blessed. You are the rock. You're the foundation of the church. Here are the keys to the kingdom. Here's power to bind and to loose. Here's this incredible affirmation, Peter, of, of, of who you are and the transformation that I see taking place in your life. Here's this affirmation of the role that you are going to play in this big story of the kingdom of God. Pretty awesome. And it is immediately followed up by one of Peter's biggest fails. Messiah. But, so Jesus tells them, you, you, you got it right. I am the Messiah, but don't tell anybody. Let's keep this a secret. Uh, but then he actually keeps going, right? He starts adding on information here. He starts to explain to them what it's going to mean for him to be the Messiah. That we're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be put on trial and it's going to be very unjust. I'm going to suffer and I will be killed. But three days later, I will come back from the dead. I will be raised back to life. And Peter's response to all of this is, no. No, never, he says. Right? You can kind of hear him, hear him you know, I, will, I would never let that happen to you. It's a very noble sounding response. But he gets it completely wrong. And we're going to talk more about what the mistake here is. First of all, uh, if you're rebuking Jesus, like probably not a good position to be in. But we'll get into his mistake here in just a moment. First, though, let's have a little bit of compassion on Peter. Let's have a little bit of compassion on Peter because everything in his life has formed him to expect the Messiah to be triumphant, to be conquering, to be this awesome leader who comes in and dominates. When, when, uh, Peter, or when Jesus affirms Peter's answer, Peter and the other disciples would have been like, ooh, it's on, right? Power, prestige, kicking out the Romans. We're going to be right at the, you know, we're going to be right in the midst of all this, this great stuff that's about to happen. They're starting to salivate at the prospect. So when Jesus then starts talking about dying, that's not the vibe that they were expecting. It's like your dream politician. You're, you're sitting there listening to this person speak about how they're going to do all this stuff. And it's like all the things you would ever have wanted a politician to do. And then they're like, but I'm going to lose the race by 40 points. It's like a coach coming in to your, whatever your favorite team is. This new coach comes in and they've got, uh, they've got a track record and they've won championships before and they've got this great system and they come in and they're like, we're going to win zero games. Right? You're like, no, what? Like that's not what they wanted. That is not what they had been conditioned, what they had been formed to expect. So let's have a little bit of compassion on Peter in this interaction. But... But let's also take Jesus' words seriously because they are very serious. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human 
concerns. If you were with us last week, Peter gets out of the boat, he walks on water, he sinks, and Jesus' response to him is actually uh, quite tender. Oh, Peter, you, you have a little faith. I got you, I got you. This is not that. <laughs> this is not tender. This is what my kids would call a harsh tone. Satan, stumbling block, get out of my way, Peter. Now, why is the reaction so strong? Again, given that, that Peter would have been conditioned to expect something completely different, why doesn't Jesus grace and understanding and all these sorts of things, why is his response so strong? I think one reason why this doesn't resonate with us or why it feels out of proportion is because we have an American tendency to read Scripture through the lens of morality. Right? And so, G, or, or so Peter, you know, he's not, he, he didn't kill anybody. He didn't, do, he didn't break any of the Ten Commandments. It doesn't seem like he did anything that wrong. This is just a misunderstanding. Why the harsh tone? And the reason is, the reason Jesus takes this so seriously is not because there was a moral issue in the way that we're used to thinking about it. He takes this seriously because Jesus' primary filter is his mission, not morality. Jesus' primary filter is his mission, not morality. What did Jesus come to do? Make us better people? Nicer people? Moral people? I mean, some of those things are good things, right? And a byproduct of a relationship with Jesus. Jesus came to rescue humanity from sin and death. He came to restore the broken relationship between us and God and between each other. To, to inaugurate the kingdom of right relationships. And he accomplishes this, this overcoming of sin and death by dying. He accomplishes it by dying. And through death, his resurrection, Peter is getting in the way of Jesus' mission. This is not just a, a minor disagreement. This is a huge problem. Peter is getting in the way of Jesus' mission. Who else opposes Jesus' mission? Satan. This is the starkest of juxtapositions. Peter, you are the rock on which I will build my church. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. That's a high high and a low low right after each other. Now, our, our muddled middle of our formation processes may not be this extreme. But again, this is very real. Our best moments, our worst moments are often all mashed up together. And it's here where we need to have, I think, a hard but honest conversation. Discipleship in the way of Jesus is a process. It is a process, right? It's not an arrival. It's, it's an ongoing process of conversion. Peter is still very much in this process, still learning and unlearning many things, right? Learning who Jesus is and what he's all about, but also having to unlearn some of the things that he had picked up along the way, right? Some of his hopes and expectations about what the Messiah was going to be. 
But in the midst of that, in the midst of his process, Peter runs into an issue that we all will face if we follow Jesus long enough. Remember, this is the same guy who, who last week demonstrated tremendous curiosity. Took a huge risk in getting out of the boat who now says, no, not like this. Not death. Not a cross. Again, we'll all end up in this place at some point. But Peter got comfortable and he allowed his preferences to become more important than the mission. And so the question... For followers of Jesus, a question that we will, again, all have to face at some point in our journey is what's more important, my comfort and my preferences or the mission of Jesus to redeem and restore his creation? And if that sounds like kind of big, it is. It is. Now, the tricky part here, name this today, is that this story can be used and has been used to manipulate people. I just want to name this today. You know, a, a church will be like, here's what we're going to do. Here's our big thing. And then anyone who doesn't get on board with it, it's like, get behind us, Satan. So I want to acknowledge that this has been used against people in all kinds of ways. That's not the goal here this morning. I also want to say, though, that just because a story has been abused in other contexts doesn't mean that we can't or shouldn't allow that story to ask these hard questions of us. Jesus' mission is to get to the cross. The cross actually is his metaphor for discipleship. There's an old preacher joke. Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, pick up your couch and follow me. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. And this is what he talks about immediately after this interaction with Peter. Right? Lose your life to find it. Jesus is challenging Peter. He is challenging us, our preferences, our expectations. Whatever gets in the way of Jesus' mission needs to die. Needs to die. We get comfortable. Peter, I'm comfortable with this kind of Messiah. Triumphant, awesome, kicks out the Romans, suffering, dying Messiah. I don't know about that. We get comfortable. I'm I'm comfortable in this kind of church. This kind of worship. This style of teaching. Right, this way of studying the Bible. And our preferences become more important than the mission. We slip right back, right, from creator to consumer. Now, we also need to use discernment here. Not every discomfort is a cross that needs to be picked up. Right, not everything that we disagree with is, is like this sort of level of issue, but we have to take, as we progress in our, our journey with Jesus as a disciple, we have to take a hard look at our comfort. We have to take a hard look at our comfort and ask the question what needs to die? And just speaking from personal experience, this is not an easy, this is a hard question. This is not an easy process, right? There's a lot of things in my life that have had to die, there's a lot of things that I've had to unlearn. 
about church, about ministry, about leadership, about being a pastor. There's a lot of things that I've had to unlearn about being a parent. And it's painful to recognize those things and to realize that maybe some things that worked over here are not going to work over here. I cannot take it with me. And so it's got to die. It's got to die. But it's got to die so that I can be free. Right? So that I can be free to be available, to participate in whatever it is that Jesus wants to do over here. For some of us in this room, there's things that used to work for us. Right? There's theology. There's style. There's preferences. You know, a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, it was great. It was working really well, and it's not working anymore. Will you let it die so that you can be over here in the new thing that Jesus is doing at Discovery, in your life, in your story? There are some things that worked over here that don't work over here. And it's a hard question, but it is an honest and good question. What do I need to let go of? What needs to die so that I can be available and participate in the new thing that God is doing? Are you with me? Now, as the band comes back and we get ready for communion... I want to say a couple of things here to set us up for this this moment today. Because we want to create some space for us to just sit with that question. To sit with a couple of questions, actually. So what's going to happen here is after I walk us through this and pray, we're going to just have a couple moments, two, three minutes, where the band will play. We won't be singing together or anything. And I just want you to sit with some of these questions. And then when you're ready, come to the table, whether it's here or, or the stations back there. Come to the table to take communion with us where we remember the cross. Where we remember the central metaphor for following Jesus is the cross. The good news of Jesus is not that things will just keep on. And yes, the cross leads to resurrection and resurrection is way better than staying dead. But you cannot have a resurrection without a death. And I think too often we want to skip the cross part. We want to skip the death part. We want to get right to the feel-good moment. And it's interesting to me that we're having this conversation in the, like, second half of the season of Lent. Which is a season where we're, we're supposed to be contemplating the death of Christ. And again, the things that we need to let go of, the things that need to die in order for us to experience in a fresh way, for the first time, in a new way, the good news that is his resurrection. The resurrection is our hope, and we're going to celebrate it like crazy here in two Sundays. But it's our hope because death is a real part of the experience of being human. So my encouragement to you is don't skip past that. Don't try to get past the the hard part because we want to get to the happy, you know, feel-good part at the end. It's coming. It's coming. But the invitation today is to sit with the truth of the cross, the truth that it is 
death that leads to resurrection. So as we come to the table, as we take the elements today, the body and the blood of Jesus, broken and poured out for us a couple of questions for us to sit with. Have you exchanged the cross for comfort? Have you exchanged the cross for comfort and are your preferences preventing participation in the mission? I want to invite you to sit with that for a couple of minutes and then when you're ready, come to the table and take communion with us.